from Genesis 15, verses 1 through, 5, 1 through 6, and 17, 1 through 8. God's covenant with Abram. After these events, the Lord's word came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your protector. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you possibly give me? Since I still have no children, the head of my household is Elizer, a man with Damasc from Damascus. He continued, Since you haven't given me any children, the head of my household will be my heir. The Lord's word came immediately to him. This man will not be your heir. Your heir will definitely be your very own biological child. Then he brought Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you think you can count them. He continued, This is how many children you will have. Abram trusted the Lord, and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Walk with me and be trustworthy. I will make a covenant between us, and I will give you many, many descendants. Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, But me, my covenant is with you. You will be the ancestor of many nations. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. I will make you very fertile. I will produce nations from you and kings will come from you. I will set up my covenant with you and your descendants after you in every generation as an enduring covenant. I will be your God and your descendants God after you. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are immigrants, the whole land of Canaan, as an enduring possession, and I will be their God. May the living word of God speak to us through these ancient words of Scripture. Well, today I am excited to introduce to you a brand new theme and brand new sermon series. It builds on the past two months of sermons. We started, you'll remember, way back in September with connections when we examined our relationships with everyone and everything around us, um, from the lar as large as the world to the most personal ones that we have with ourselves and with God. And then during stewardship, the past three weeks, we cultivated, we explored how we cultivate community, how we become an intentional community, and we create that intentional community, both for ourselves on a spiritual level and for the world on a connectional level. Well, today we start with commitment. We like the three C's here of the fall, and it builds off both of these two themes. And we'll delve into four practices of this intentional community that we have explored, practices that sustain it, that build it, that make it healthy, that make it long-lasting. These are practices for our community to not just be functional, but to be thriving. And there are things that we can do and commit to that will bolster that community. And in turn, that then creates a deeper sense of community, which leads to a more thriving community. So you see the process here, that as we commit to these things, these practices, and they're often things that are taken for granted. Um, they seem to be a normal part of life, but when they're violated, that's when we realize how important they are. When we don't actively and intentionally engage in holding them up as our standard for how we live together in community, that's when the community is hurt or broken. 
and focused instead of on others, but on itself. These four practices allow us to take our community beyond just the service of ourselves, whether that be ourselves as individuals or ourselves as a church family. And we look beyond our own individual needs. That's what they encourage us to do and to the needs of the whole and what lifts up the needs of the whole. And as we look beyond our walls to discover how our community fits within the larger community around us and how we can live into God's vision for that. Well, the, each of these four practices, um, they're actually at the heart of God's character and God's own integrity and activity. And we'll discover that God, who is faithful and true and welcoming and trustworthy, that God is at the heart of our gathering and our living together and the way that we share community, especially when we lift up these four practices. And so we have to remember that these practices, both good and bad, whether we're practicing things that are good or bad, that that's what's usually celebrated. The things that we do are what's often lifted up. And so it reinforces the continuation of a particular practice. Love begets love. Hatred begets hatred. And so being conscious of these things that we can do together as a community, we can celebrate them in our community, and that means that those are what will be repeated. And until we together reflect the character of God as the body of Christ. And as I said, these are simple practices that they're often taken for granted, but when they are practiced and when they are celebrated, they make this intentional community, one that gathers around the good things of God, possible. Good. Beautiful. Christine Pohl in her book, Living Into Community, said this, the best testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. Jesus risked his reputation and the credibility of his story by tying them to how his followers live and care for one another in community. The character of our shared life has the power to draw people to the kingdom or to push them away. It's entirely about the how and the character of our community. And isn't that a powerful thought? That not just the fact that we are here together makes an impact, but the very manner in which we gather does. The way that we treat each other, the values that we lift up, the ideals that we hold dear, they all have the power to invite or to reject. And so we have to make sure that we are together, and when we're together, that it's in a way that builds up the kingdom of God and the vision of God. So developing these four practices that reflect God's character are therefore the basis for our shared community life. Well, today, the clue to the first practice that we will start by talking about uh, was in an email yesterday. You may have seen it. It was also on the socials. It's a riddle, and it goes like this. What is something that you can keep after giving it to someone else? Now, you may have a little clue from the bulletin because the title is actually right there. And it's a promise. A promise is something that you keep after giving it to someone else. Also acceptable answers would be your word or your honor, something to that effect. Now, growing up, two little words in my house were absolutely sacred. They carried more weight and authority than almost any other, and it wasn't special kiss. <laughs> it was second, perhaps, to because I said so. <laughs> It was mom's definitive, I promise. 
Mom's promises are absolutely sacred. And she only used those words sparingly. To this day, she will not promise something unless she can absolutely guaranteed follow through. They weren't meant for everyday little things that you could easily provide or overlook. When mom uttered those words, I promise, we knew she meant business. Now, this was both good and bad. You see, uh, something good or meaningful or comforting could come from an I promise, like the special kiss, I promise that I'm always with you. And we knew we could look forward to it. But there was also the time where mom pulled the car over and we walked home because she said, if you don't stop it right now, I promise that I will pull the car over and you will walk home. Now, of course, with four teenage girls in the house, we caught on to the sacredness of these promises. And there were many clothes, there were many shoes, and there were many borrowed clothes and many stolen shoes. Now, something went missing, and a sister, very nicely, of course, would go to the suspect who innocently picked up that favorite shirt or pair of jeans, only to nicely ask for it back. Well, some sisters were not as forthcoming with their innocent discretion as others when you would look beyond them and see it sitting on their bed. And so it came down to making them promise. But this turned into the misuse of mom's sacred I promise. And we created a distinction between is that a sister promise or is that a mommy promise? <laughs> and so it became not enough to simply promise because that would prompt the question, do you sister promise or mommy promise? But this makes us realize how sacred promises are by nature, that we cannot just throw it around or use it our convenience like a sister promise. When something is promised, a person's word of honor is on it. And we make promises in very important ways, like wedding vows or in induction ceremonies in our careers. And we are expected, at least to the best of our ability, to uphold them. And so in turn, we expect the same from others who make promises to us but they mean nothing if they become sister promises. If our word means nothing and our past actions support that, if we go back on our promises, then what is the point of making those promises in the first place? Sister promises carry absolutely no weight in my family, but mommy promises still do to this day because the past supports the word of honor that is inherent in a mommy promise. And if I hear mom say that, I sometimes take a step back. Wow, she really does mean what she just said. Now, the biblical word for mommy promises is actually sort of like covenant. We heard a lot about covenant in our reading for today. A covenant is a sacred agreement. There's a sense of mutuality about it, though, whereas promises typically are one-sided. Covenants are two-sided, and they have a sense of mutuality about them. And it's not really just about mutual acquaintance, but a commitment to responsibility and to action. There is a promiser, there is a promisee, and often in covenants, each person carries both. Now, there are, of course, many covenants in the Bible. You'll be able to name a few of them, I'm sure, like uh, the Garden of Eden with, with God's promises to Adam and Eve. Noah is probably the most famous with the promise of the, the rainbow in the sky as the um, promise to never flood the earth again. And, of course, our Bible passage for today, which was Abraham and Sarah. We heard of the signs of the covenant, but it is extraordinary that God would have declared this. You see, the people were living at the time in a world of multiple gods, and those gods only worked for themselves. So to have a god here, the one god, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, who wants to create a covenant with them for the future of hope, one where they have mutual accountability, 
That was unheard of. And these, of course, that I just named are a few of the promises, just a few of them, that happen in the very first chapters of the Bible. From there, God continues to promise faithfulness and love and mercy and grace. And God continues to fulfill right up to the ultimate in promises, the redemption of humanity through the promise and fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Now, promises and biblical covenants are located within a larger story of redemption and of love, and they're characterized by this sense of mutual accountability and a shared set of commitments. Through the keeping of these promises and of these covenants, relationships are deepened. We see it happening in the pages of the Bible. It jumps out at us, and community is extended, and people are brought in. But this is different than a contract. Those are in the Bible too. But a contract facilitates a consumer mindset. What can I get out of this? How do I benefit? What are the legal details of the agreement that make me sure that I'm going to get what I'm wanting? Those tend to foster the centering on fulfillment of personal needs. But community then becomes transactional instead of relational. And so promises and covenants, these are intended instead to define and characterize relationships rather than dictating who gets what out of a transaction. So that means that upholding covenants and promises within our community becomes about the character and the integrity of that community. This is why it's one of our four practices, that it's a commitment to making and keeping promises and that reveals the character of this community. So in practice, in our community, this means standing by our commitment to our welcoming covenant, where all are invited and included as full participants in our community. It means committing together to be in worship, to be in tragedy, to be in joy together. It means lifting up those who have a difficult season by standing by those who are voiceless. It means finding our personal call within the congregation. Now these may sound familiar because they're the marks of the cultivation series on creating intentional community. But making and keeping promises, however, takes these marks one step further. It means committing to them. It means doing them consciously and actively entering into a covenant with the others around us to live and be together in this way. And it means holding up our end of that deal. It doesn't mean that things don't come up. Of course, we all have lives and things that happen. But it does mean that in our heart of hearts, the basis of our community is a commitment to live into this covenant of this community. But there is one thing that is absolutely necessary. One thing that is absolutely necessary for promises, whether they are divine or whether they are human. And that is trust. Promises mean nothing without trusting that the other person will keep their promise, which is why sister promises are so damaging. There was no trust in those words. There was no trust that the word would be honored, but mommy promises, godly promises, we can with absolute certainty know and trust that they will be fulfilled, which means that our congregational covenants with one another must be the same. We have to be able to rely on the word, the promise, the covenant with those whom we enter into this community. 
We have to be able to reflect the godly covenant that God has made with us and with humanity throughout all of human history of faithfulness and love and grace and hope. And God has come through on these. And so the question is, can we? Can we live up to the covenant into which God calls us? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But always the commitment to try. That's our call. That is our mission and that is God's vision for our church and for each of us and for the world around us. Because the opposite of trust is fear. Fear instills mistrust. It instills doubt. It instills the very opposite of the honor and certainty that comes with trust. And we all know that the world is really good at instilling fear in us instead of building trust. How often has something of this world let us down? How often has our trust been shattered by a broken promise, making us fearful that that is all that will ever happen again? And the deep danger in this is that with each broken promise, with each fulfilled moment of fear, it takes a little longer to trust again. It takes a little longer to live and exist again, trusting that we won't be hurt, that we won't be the victim of the broken world, that we won't find ourselves in the darkness of doubt and of fear. Trust is at the very heart of our community because it drives out that fear. A fear that we will be rejected instead of welcomed. It drives out the fear that we will be deemed useless instead of being a beloved child of God. It drives out the fear that we will be seen as expendable instead of an integral part of this beloved community. It drives out the fear that we are unworthy instead of being loved. When we embrace a trust in the word, the promise, the covenant, of this community, when we make and keep that promise, a promise that reflects God's character and integrity, it is then that our community thrives. So let's together embrace these promises, to love one another, both in and outside of our walls, to be gracious to one another, to lift up the one who needs a bit of support, to value and celebrate the good that is in every person, to walk alongside one another, as we seek God's word for our lives. Let's make and keep our promises and uphold that covenant that we make with one another because when we do, when we do that, this community that we have cultivated and created thrives. I'm Ami Promise.